0: Robert has finally made it to Lily Springs, and in this next chapter, he meets Abelia for the first time. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Lilac Wine, please do so. I'm releasing this novel in progress one chapter at a time, and I don't want you to miss anything. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac Wine. And now, Lilac Wine. Chapter. 11. Robert met Billy in the morning at the post office and was taught how to sort the mail. Much of it had already been done the day before, but had not been delivered due to the trouble that Billy had with the truck. So Billy had done just a very quick run, not letting Art know that his bag was lacking some of the mail that still sat in the large canvas bag picked up at the train station yesterday morning. This morning's sort was easy, as the volume of mail was not too great. In Lily Springs, some houses received little to no mail at all, which made the route rather easy to complete in a couple of hours. Luckily, Glenn does the rule route. That takes forever, said Billy. The homes and businesses here in Lily Springs, not much to it. Although he had planned to accompany Robert on his first run, Billy needed to return to the shop as soon as possible due to the fact that they had a 1914 Hyder tractor, Model C, in for repairs. Billy's father, Wayne, had promised the owner that it would be done later in the day, and Billy knew that his father couldn't handle putting on a new belt by himself. "'You arrived in town just in time, my friend,' said Billy. "'Otherwise, we may have been subjected to Art and his dogs again.' Still, Art was worried about sending Robert out by himself, but Robert assured him that he could do it. After all, he said, he had delivered invoices, statements, and even pianos to people all over Chicago. I think I could handle it, he stated. Just to be sure, Art had Billy sketch a rudimentary map of Lily Springs on the back of an envelope and... Like a general standing over a battle plan, he personally placed arrows here and there, explaining the best streets to take first and how to navigate the downtown area. Robert had to smile. The downtown area consisted of a dozen buildings at most, and Art insisted that the best way to attack the downtown was in a clockwise motion around the triangle. Come on, Mr. Bishop. "'said Billy. "'I drove the route with him yesterday. "'He'll be fine. "'You never gave me a map. "'You live here, Billy. "'This could be confusing to someone out of town.' "'I'll be fine,' said Robert, reaching for the map. "'Wait a minute,' said Hart, "'sliding the map back to its original position. "'Don't forget this.' "'He placed a circle at the end of a southern street "'and tapped it with the end of a pencil.' Abelia Brody's house. If you can just, I know, Art, don't you worry. I'll deliver the mail and help the lady with her garden. Billy rolled his eyes at Art, prompting a smile from Robert as he pocketed the map and placed the postal bag over his shoulder. Teddy, the large yellow dog that was the leader of Art's pack, attempted to escape when Robert opened the door. No, Teddy, scolded Robert. Teddy had taken to Robert and, much to his alarm, found Teddy lying on his bed that morning. Robert wasn't much of a heavy sleeper, but last night he must have been extremely exhausted because he didn't even feel the big dog climb into his bed. In fact, he wasn't even sure how Teddy opened the door to his room as he was confident the door was securely shut and it was a disconcerting thought to Robert to consider the fact that Teddy may have the ability to open doors. The last thing he wanted was a big hairy dog staring at him while he slept. Stay, said Robert, as he squeezed backwards out of the door into the bright sun. Outside it was quiet. There was no movement on the street, A lone wagon and horse were tied outside the bank just opposite across from the post office. (laughs) Clockwise, Robert said to himself with a laugh as he turned left to start his first day of rounds. He opened the door to the Lily Springs Pharmacy and met Ellie at the front soda counter. Oh, Mr. Bishop, she said with a large smile, nervously wiping her hands on her apron already working, I see. Robert handed her a couple of envelopes. That's why I'm here, he replied. As he turned to leave, he added, thank you again, Mrs. He tried to glimpse the name on one of the envelopes. Peterson, but you could call me Ellie. Robert smiled nervously, not wishing to be that informal. Thank you again for uh, the wonderful greeting yesterday. "'Oh, you are welcome. It was fun. "'I really hope you enjoy Lily Springs, Mr. Bishop. Can, "'Can I call you Robert? "'It's just that we are all like family here.' "'Sure,' said Robert. "'And if I could be any help at all, please just let me know.' "'Thank you,' said Robert, turning again to leave. "'Wait,' jumped Ellie, forgetting something. "'I want to introduce you to my husband Charles.' As Ellie called for her husband, Robert was beginning to think that this day was going to be longer than anticipated. Finally, Charles Peterson appeared behind the counter, his white apron stained with what appeared to be iodine. A typical pharmacist with a typical handlebar mustache, thought Robert, as he shook his hand, which was less than firm. They exchanged pleasantries and then goodbyes, and Ellie walked Robert to the door explaining to him that she was the de facto Lily Springs historian, and if he had any questions, she would be more than happy to answer them. "'And, uh, Robert?' she said, suddenly lowering her voice. She was now standing in the doorway, and, as she held the door open, her eyes glanced around the street outside, as if to make sure no one was in earshot. "'I understand,' You'll be paying a visit to Abelia Brody. Let me give you some advice about that. Advice? Ellie nodded. Abelia's a strange bird. Doesn't come into town much. She's unmarried and, quite frankly, can be intimidating. She's really not part of the Lily Springs family. So, uh, please don't judge our town based on one person. She punctuated the last statement with a wide smile, not realizing that at that moment Robert was indeed beginning to judge the town on just one person. Robert thanked Ellie and turned to continue his rounds when he was stopped by Rose, who was sitting at the bench under the awning of the pharmacy. Robert hadn't noticed her before and was quite startled when he heard his name called out. She could have very well been there the whole time, blending into her surroundings. In fact, the green tone of her dress mimicked the thick paint of the bench. She was a diminutive old woman with white hair, her eyes looking exceedingly large through thick glasses. You must be Robert Bishop, she said. She then introduced herself and said that she could, on most nice days, be found here on the bench, and that on those days, Owen would simply give her the mail there. "'Oh,' Robert said as he reached into his bag. "'I'm sorry, I'm not sure where your mail would be, Mrs. Clower.' Robert had a difficult time navigating his postal bag. It turns out that Rose lived on River Road, south of the Triangle and therefore at the bottom of the bag. By the time he found the one envelope with her name scrawled across the face— The bag that had been nicely organized was now a mess. Rose muttered a thank you as she took the envelope and turned it over in her hands. I understand you'll be visiting Abelia Brody. Rose smiled up at Robert and patted her hand on the bench, indicating that she wanted him to sit, which he did, reluctantly. I am her neighbor, and I must tell you something about her. Robert let out a big, audible breath as Rose began to recount her encounters with Abelia. "'I have lived next to her for twenty-something years,' she stated, "'and I have seen some things I cannot repeat in mixed company. "'Mrs. Clower, I really need to—' "'Sure, she may have a beautiful garden, but do not, under any circumstance—' "'She lowered her voice to an almost incomprehensible whisper. "'Drink!' or eat anything she may give you. Robert didn't know what to say, so he said nothing, waiting for Rose to elaborate. But she didn't. All she did was cock her head a little and stared out into the triangle. Okay, said Robert. Thank you for that, Mrs. Clower. I will be sure not to eat or drink, anything given to me. He stood and said goodbye. But Rose didn't answer, nor did she further acknowledge his presence. She sat still, quietly humming a tune to herself, looking somewhere beyond the Civil War statue, beyond the town itself. Robert finished delivering the mail to the businesses around the town triangle rather quickly. As he turned to continue delivering to the homes in the north, he stopped and looked past the Civil War statue to the bench outside the pharmacy. Rose was still there, sitting statue-like under the awning. As it turned out, he didn't need the map at all. He kept it in his back pocket, but occasionally compared the streets on the top envelopes in the bag to the stone street markers with the name of the street, painted with thick black lettering. As he delivered the mail, several people stopped him and introduced themselves It seemed that everybody knew who he was, and many people knew that he was selected to help Abelia with her garden to make right the damage done by Art's dogs. Art himself hadn't said much about the incident, and Robert learned more about what had happened from the strangers he had met in Lily Springs. And those strangers each wanted to give him their own advice about the peculiar, lonely lady who lived in the last house on River Road. Robert began to try and picture Abelia Brody. The first thought that came to his mind was the image found in an illustrated edition of Shakespeare's Macbeth he had in a bookcase in his house in Evanston. A witch hag standing haunched over a boiling cauldron. It seemed to him that Abelia Brody was someone who most of the people in town wished wasn't there. It seemed that she represented something that people thought antithetical, to the town. A contradiction or a danger, he wasn't sure. Abelia's house was the last house on River Road and the very last house in Lily Springs. In fact, the gravel road turns into mere dirt about a hundred feet south of the two-story white farmhouse. Where the road went, no one was sure. It just seemed to have always been there no doubt used more before the railroad connected the small towns along the Mississippi River. Now weeds and trees were reclaiming the road, and the road itself seemed to vanish into a dense clump of oak trees out in the distance. The road was legendary in Lily Springs, Robert learned. Children spoke of phantoms and ghosts. That clump of oaks was reportedly haunted with strange sounds sometimes floating mysteriously from the distance. Sound carries and bounces around the bluffs and trees quite easily in northeastern Iowa. Many knew that the source of the strange noise was most likely Abelia's talking machine, which he often had outside on the porch during the summer. But it was much more exciting to talk of ghosts and goblins and of the strange woman who lived at 24 River Road. Robert pulled the last piece of mail from the bag. It was the current edition of the Burpee Seed Catalog. He turned the bell, and glanced down at the publication in his hand. A large pink flower adorned the cover. Nothing. He rang again. Based on what he already knew about Abelia Brody, he realized that she most likely was in the garden near the back of her house. Climbing down from the porch, he followed the cobblestone path around the house to the gate of the garden, nestled between her house and roses. A large tree dominated that space, its branches touching the siding of both houses, as if it were physically keeping the houses from coming together, much like a referee in a boxing match. The gate was open, and as Robert entered the garden realm, he struck a wall of fragrance. Powerful and immediate, it was unlike anything he had ever smelled before. Even so, it had a certain familiarity, a familiarity he couldn't quite place. He immediately thought of his mother. She had kept a small plot of flowers in their backyard, and sometimes, as a child, he would pick a few, and give them to her that image suddenly invaded his memory he quickly closed his eyes to capture it to relive it if only for a moment and there she was graciously sniffing the white daisies he had handed to her she smiled and put one in her hair resting it behind her ear as he played in the dirt it was a powerful and vivid memory not unlike the dreams he sometimes had. Very real. Very immediate. It wasn't often that he thought about her, and the emotion of the remembrance warmed him. Her smile. Her laugh. His first instinct was to suppress it, to push it back to wherever it came. Although he tried not to think too much of the past, he didn't want to let this go. Nothing else at that moment mattered. The past had become tangible. Robert finally opened his eyes and beheld Abelia's legendary garden. It seemed warmer there, as if the sun itself was concentrating all of its power on this small plot of earth. Fragrant flowers of every type adorned the landscape in a winding path of green grass, "'Cascaded around the plots like a river flows around islands. "'It was very apparent a delicate hand carefully "'had chosen the arrangements of colors and scents. "'Nothing was haphazard here. "'Everything had a purpose. "'Flowering shrubs lined a porch "'that stretched the entire length of the house, "'and a large greenhouse stood to the back of the yard The condensation on the inside of the panes glittered in the sunlight. Beyond the greenhouse were plots of earth set aside for vegetables, and beyond that stood row upon row of neatly planted trees that seemed to extend into the distance. Butterflies and other insects fluttered about, savoring the sweet nectar of the flowers. Birds chased each other around the petals and branches as a gentle breeze rustled the leaves and grass, adding to the natural but soft cacophony of the garden. It was unlike anything Robert had ever seen. Of course, Chicago had its parks, but nothing quite like this. The closest he had ever come was when he visited the Garfield Park Conservatory as a kid. There he had run around large palm trees in one of the greenhouses playing hide-and-seek with his friends. But this was different. This garden wasn't meant to amaze in terms of spectacle and size. It just existed for the sake of itself. On the other side of the yard, a figure in white was trimming some branches with a pair of shears. A wide-brimmed hat shaded her face from the sun, which was well beyond its zenith in the western sky, casting slightly elongated shadows over the garden. She eclipsed the sunlight, her figure a mere silhouette within her dress, a corona of light accenting her slender form. She was unaware of his presence. Butterflies fluttered playfully around her head as she concentrated on the task at hand. A few tassels of dark hair protruded from the brim of her hat and she occasionally wiped her forehead gently with a gloved hand. This was not the image he had expected. He stood firm, transfixed by the surreal image of this woman in a cloud of butterflies. It was almost as if she and the butterflies were playing some game. They fluttered in her face more intensely each time she lowered her head to the flower she was tending. With a laugh, she lifted her head and the cloud dispersed, becoming less dense for a moment before concentrating once again around her hat. Robert cleared his throat, and in an instant the butterflies dispersed in the garden seemed to halt its music. Clearly startled, Abelia turned towards the sound, gently pulling the gloves from her hands. "'Sorry,' said Robert. "'I didn't mean to frighten you.' You must be Robert, she said softly, noticing the bag slung over his shoulder. (laughs) Robert chuckled. Yeah, it seems like everyone here knows me. He walked towards her, following the flow of grass around an island of yellow and white flowers. Now this is what I call a victory garden, he said. Woodrow Wilson would be proud. Abelia smiled as Robert handed her the catalog. I was just going to leave this on your porch, he said. But I wanted to introduce myself, but I see you already know who I am. Abelia thanked him, and the two stood silently for a moment. Robert sensed a little timidity in Abelia, as she had not yet made full eye contact. Her eyes instead darted nervously from the garden to the catalog in her hand. This was not a woman versed in the art of small conversation, he thought. So, Robert said, I understand Art's dogs did a number on your garden. He surveyed the yard and noticed a relatively barren section of what he assumed was the vegetable garden. Here and there, near the vegetable plot, were dark patches of dirt amidst the green lawns, the sod undoubtedly torn up by the dogs. But grass seedlings were now growing in the dirt, and soon, Robert reckoned, the patches would be indistinguishable from the rest of the lawn. Likewise, small plants were now sprouting in the garden, and what appeared to be a new trellis cradled the delicate branches of some type of vine, its white flowers standing defiantly in the sunlight. Some of those branches, Robert noticed, were wrapped in what appeared to be white gauze. Although nowhere near as full as the rest of the garden, the vegetable garden seemed to be well on its way to recovery. In fact, if he hadn't known what had happened here, he surely would not have ever suspected that a pack of dogs careened through here and tore up a substantial portion of Abelia's vegetables. Robert had the sinking suspicion that Art had greatly exaggerated the carnage. I was told to offer my services to make up for what the dogs had done, said Robert at last, but I'm not sure what it is I could do. Thank you, Mr. Bishop. I am greatly appreciative. As I told Art before, but there really isn't anything. Are those bandages on that plant? Abelia looked to where Robert was pointing, surprised at his interjection. Well, I guess you could call it that. Those are purple pole beans, and I was able to salvage many of them by using cloth to strengthen some of the branches. And it works? Plants are like people, Mr. Bishop. They have a tremendous ability to heal if given proper care. Robert looked at Abelia and smiled. She was only slightly shorter than he, her eyes a deep green. "'You're like Clara Barton of the plant world,' he said. Abelia looked into Robert's eyes for the first time, and what came next was completely unexpected. She laughed. It was a loud, natural laugh, more like a hiccup than anything else— it even caught a billy off guard. Her hand moved instinctively to her mouth, and Robert could sense the tentative front she displayed earlier, slightly, melt away. I'm sorry, she said. I just never, never thought of it that way. Robert thought about carrying the joke further by asking her if she wore a uniform when nursing the plants, or if she had considered enlisting to help the boys out in France. Wilson could definitely use you, he could say but he decided to stop there. Abelia composed herself and smiled. Thank you for the offer to help. It is greatly appreciated, but actually, thank Art, he volunteered me, and he has reminded me over and over again since coming here that some type of amends must be made. I'll have to tell him something, or I'll never hear the end of it. Abelia smiled again. Tell him you helped me move some sod. Robert nodded. And if you ever need me to help moving sod or anything else, just let me know. There was a pause. Pleasure meeting you, Miss Brody, Robert said, turning to leave. He was almost to the gate when Abelia called to him. Mr. Bishop, Robert turned. Is this all that came in the post? She said, holding up the catalog. Robert nodded. That's it, he said. Abelia briefly smiled once again, then immediately averted her gaze, flipping open the pages of the catalog, but not truly looking at the contents. Robert watched her as she turned back toward the patch of flowers. She had a certain gracefulness as she walked. Robert could tell that she was completely at home here, and couldn't imagine her even letting someone like himself attempt to interfere at all with her garden. He knew that Art felt extremely guilty about what had happened, but it was ridiculous even to suggest that someone could add anything to this garden beyond Abelia's talents. Maybe that's why Art had volunteered him. He inhaled deeply one last time, taking in the sweet aroma before leaving the garden realm. Thinking about everything he heard today in hushed tones and innuendo about this strange woman at 24 River Road, he instinctively knew one thing. The whole town had her wrong. So we are back after a two-week hiatus. Thanks for listening. That was Chapter 11. A couple of weeks ago, I got sick and I lost my voice, so I couldn't put out an episode that week. And then last week, it's a crazy week, it was our annual Cine Student Film Festival. I am a high school teacher and sponsor of our film club, and we hold an annual film festival, and we receive entries from all over the world, and it's just uh, that week is just unbelievably busy trying to get it together, but we are back and ready to go, and that chapter, chapter 11, is one of my longer chapters, and I really enjoyed writing it. I Wanted to build up to the point where Robert and Abelia meet. And of course, that whole stigma that the town has on Abelia transferred to Robert as he's attempting to deliver the mail. And I really wanted the experience of Robert going in to Abelia's backyard and experiencing her garden. That is really something. And Robert, of course, has never experienced in anything like that. Other members of the town have, but have kind of forgotten what magic Abelia has in her garden. And I just really wanted to capture uh, some of the magical realism of this garden. This garden is a magical place. And with Robert gazing on Abelia, as the butterflies fly in a cloud around her head. It's really kind of a magical moment. And he's kind of drawn to her. And, you know, I wanted to kind of set it so that they recognize something about each other. And that, of course, is going to play out in later Later episodes, so I really wanted to kind of capture that that magic of going into the garden, and I think Robert recognizes how unique she is when he notices the bandages on on the pole beans. And one of my favorite lines is, "Plants are like people, Mr. Bishop. They have a tremendous ability to heal if given proper care." Yeah, that's the wisdom of Abelia right there. So I hope you enjoyed that chapter. Next chapter, we are going back to Abelia's house. She is going to be making some gazpacho and going to reminisce a little bit about her life growing up with Rima, a neighbor who taught her about gazpacho, taught her about love, and so forth. So that's Next week, we are back to our week schedule here. So tell your friends, let me know what you think about this episode. Go to lilacwinenovel.com. You can send me an email. You could go to our bulletin board and write a comment, write a suggestion. If you are enjoying this and you know other people who like historical fiction, who like stories set in the past, who like love stories, really, let them know about lilac wine. Until next week, I am Bruce Janu. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions. Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce David Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. If you are liking Lilac Wine, the podcast, please take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes. That will help us gain more listeners. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are EG and tells the stories of students and staff at Elk Grove High School, but demonstrates that no matter where you are, we all have something in common. Check that podcast out at weareeg.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. All music and sound effects are licensed through audioblocks.com. Please visit Lilac Wine Novel to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.